Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 35, Feeble Pieties. I'm Scatty and we have with us Brooke and Matt as always. Hello. Hi. And tonight we will be covering more Storm of Swords. That's Davos 2, Jamie 2, Tyrion 2, Arya 2, and Cat 2. That's chapters 10 through 14 of A Storm of Swords, according to Wiki Advice and Fire. Uh, quick reminder, we are spoiler free, just as we always are, until the end of the podcast. Uh, when we'll jump into our special segment that we call Davos After Dark. We will warn you before we jump in there. I'll play a little jingle and tell you that you're about to be spoiled. So if you uh, are reading along at our pace and don't want to be spoiled, jump off then. And if you want to contact us, uh, just just suggest topics to us or just say hello or uh, condemn us to hell, reach out through DavosFingers.com, email us at weirdavosfingers at gmail.com, Twitter at DavosFingers, or you can find us and like us on the Facebooks. Guys, Star Wars, uh, as of this recording, uh, comes out in four days. Uh, we will have seen it by the time this episode releases. Uh, just know that if you're listening to this, we're already really, really happy. Except Brooke, who I think is seeing it late. You won't. Have yeah, seen she it. will not have seen you it. You will yet. not have seen it when this releases. Yeah, Ooh. it doesn't matter. I'm going to be like a hermit. <laughs> yeah, like, you you'll better be, be like Obi Wan. Yeah, Obi Wan Kenobi. Yes. Come here, my little friend. You you need to be even more inconspicuous than Obi-Wan. You need to go by Ben Kenobi and really be out in the desert. Mm. I wonder if he means old Ben, ben I'm like Kenobi. halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wonder if he needs old, means old, what's a nickname for Brooke that could be? Brooke Kenobi? Brooke Kenobi. Bren. Bren. I don't know. There must be a Star Wars name generator on the internet. Oh, there has to be. Yeah, yeah. There's, a Star Wars, uh, there's a Star Wars everything now. There's Star Wars makeup and Star Wars oh basketball games and Star Wars batteries and Star Wars everything. So there's got to be a Star Wars name generator. They have gone over and above with the marketing. It's it's almost making me sick. Well, it's Look, Disney now, right? It and is. they know how to, yeah. to rub two pennies together. Yeah, they do. I, yeah, well, in yeah. fact, my brother asked for protein powder for Christmas because he's like like into bodybuilding and stuff not to a crazy degree but i have heard him say without an ounce of irony i gotta get my pump on before and wow. i was like what i say that too but i mean a different thing entirely. yeah i'm talking about other pumps <laughs> oh, oh okay no i'm not even going there i'm gonna finish my story <laughs> So he asked for this protein powder for Christmas, and instead I bought him a lightsaber, and I'm really excited about it. Nice. Yeah. I... Tricky to package up like protein powder, though, which is what I want to do. <laughs> so Pippin and Mary have no interest in Star Wars. I mean, you know, Pippin's far too young, but Mary's old enough that he could at least be interested, but he's just no interest, really. Kind of like Stormtroopers a little bit, but not at all. But wading through all the toys as I'm like shopping for Christmas... And not buying Star Wars stuff is so hard for me. <laughs> like I want to buy it so badly. I I caved in and got him a like a, a Star Wars wall sconce for like a, a nightlight because he kind of needs a nightlight, and uh, that's where I drew the line. Hmm. Speaking of buying stuff for Christmas, guys, moving on to a new topic. Uh, I pimp my sister's shit out all the time on this podcast, so this should come as no surprise. Uh, she has a kick-ass graphic novel uh, called Heart in a Box. It's through Dark Horse Comics. Uh, just search it. You can find it on Amazon or, you know, tons of other places. Um, 
Heart in a Box. It's really good. Everyone who reads it, like, you can go to Goodreads and look at reviews. It's crazy. People are, like, crying and shit when they read it. So check it out. Uh, she also has uh, her her first, it's basically the first six issues of Gem. They, they put it in, like, a little anthology book or whatever. So Oh, sweet. You can check that out, that. too, if you want to find that. Uh, that's through IDW uh, printer. But uh, if you're looking for last-minute Christmas gift for those loved ones, you know, check it out. So yeah. good at this point, you've only got four days. So yeah, by the hurry. time you listen to this, yeah, Amazon overnight shipping. I hear it's good. Yeah. Uh, so what's her name and the name of the book again? Oh, I gotta like, I gotta like pimp it out the right way. Her mm-hmm. name is her name is the incomparable Kelly Thompson. Uh, the two books I'm promoting, she's got a ton of shit out there, but the two books I'm promoting are uh, Heart in a Box, which is through Dark Horse, and which is very good. I've read Heart in a Box. It is good. Thank you, Matt, for your support. And I enjoyed it. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> the the first uh, six collected issues of Gem, which they've put into a little collection. Um, it's just the Gem Anthology one, I guess. But uh, check those out. Nice. Um, also, just a quick uh, a quick little note. I know we just came back from a, a quick break. We're taking a tiny little holiday break. Basically, we're delaying the next episode by one week. So the next episode will release on January 11th. Um, so look for that then after you listen and digest this one. Uh, anything else guys on the, uh, note side? No. Just that your show sold the F out before I could get tickets to it. And so now you will not experience my heckling. Yeah, that was, (laughs) well, I, I, I actually am planning on just standing outside and looking in the window really creepily at you just like banging on it really hard whenever you're out. for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about scad is starring as scrooge in a dinner theater production of the christmas carol in salt lake city and the whole show sold out before matt could get tickets yeah unfortunately <sighs> that was my fault worst friend ever well, yeah, it was my fault because it wasn't Matt's fault because I'm double cast and he wanted to know which shows I was in, so he didn't buy tickets and then not get to see me and heckle me. He didn't want to heckle other Scrooge and be really confused. Make him why... some poor other Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, feel all bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then I didn't so get him the dates until well, I didn't ever get him the dates because when I looked, they were already all sold out, and I was like, oh shit. So it wasn't his fault; it was mine. Wow, did people know it was you playing Scrooge and they bought tickets for those shows? <laughs> Certainly yeah. not. No. Are you like famous in no. Salt Lake City? No, no, not nope. No, hmm. I, I have people come. Up, somebody came up to me after the last show. Was like, "Are you Ken Roberts?" No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. But how many people come up to you every day and are like, "Hey, are you Scad from Davos Fingers?" Also, never. <laughs> it is, I wouldn't hold your breath on that one. <laughs> yeah. I, that was though. That, that was one of the uh, one of the main things. I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but I'll I will consider us to have really hit the big time when I'm just out and around, walking around in one of the in the Davos Fingers uh, apparel of some kind that we get, and uh, somebody's like, "Hey, you! I listened to that. That will be the day we've made it, in my opinion." All right. Sweet. All right. Let's move on. Uh, Matt, your episode. Uh, Brooke, your chapter. All right. Davos. Eyes are crying from the unions in the hold. Save steady boy. 
they say it's Danny Boyd. Finger bones in a bag mean the truth will be told. Steady devils, steady devils. So in an excellent turn of events, the Lysini galley that's picked up Davos from his rock spear of bird poop and despair is one of Salador's sands, captained by a stand-up guy named Corin Sam, I'm going to say Sathmantes who knows the reputation of the Onion Knight and gives Davos the captain's cabin to recover in, which boy howdy Davos sure needs. He's half-starved, questioning his own sanity, and coughing up blood, which, if movies have taught us anything, is not good. Corrin takes Davos to Salador, where he's docked at Dragonstone, even though Davos wants to go straight to the king, King Stannis, which is a good thing because someone needs to talk Davos out of his laser-focused mission to cut out Melisandre's heart and watch it burn. No joke, Davos is still hell-bent on killing Melisandre. No talking it out, no punishment, just straight murder. Salador, being a savvy pirate and a caring friend, offers Davos a ship from his own fleet to smuggle for Salador directly. Uh, an opportunity to see his wife and two young sons again at Cape Roth to leave the fruitless war Stannis is still pursuing. Well, fruitless for everyone, but Salador himself, who's been named Lord of the Blackwater Bay and now seizes tolls, quotation marks, from every trading vessel that tries to reach King's Landing. So the dude is obviously feeling generous by helping Davos out. But while Salador can't convince Davos that his plan to just walk up to Melisandre and stab her good is foolish, he does give Davos the good news that Devon, Davos' son and squire to Stannis, made it out of the battle at Stannis' side. So there's that. Anyways, Davos heads up to Dragonstone, stabbing on his mind, and is admitted through the gates after some hassle. A sergeant asks him to wait in Aegon's garden while they figure out the request to see the king, who is apparently seeing no one but Melisandre since his return to the Dragonstone. Um, and here's where we get to meet the bastard Edric Storm, a spitting image of his father except for his distinctive florent ears, his father being King Robert Baratheon. Uh, and maybe we can talk about Edric Storm a little bit later because he is uh, he's a little he's a little brat, but he's kind of interesting. He's certainly um, sparked a lot of loyalty. But uh, yeah, looks just like um, um, all of the other Robert Baratheon bastards with that dark black hair and the bright blue eyes, except he's got big Florent ears, which I think is adorable. Speaking of Florence, Axel Florent. The queen's uncle finally shows up with some queen's men and Davos asks if they're here to take him to Stannis and Lord Axel doesn't waste the opportunity to quit back that no, they're taking Davos to the dungeons because they know about his stabby plan. And that's the end of the chapter. So from castaway to pampered rescuee to prisoner, there's just no rest for Davos, even though he's relatively unwicked. Uh, do you think he was betrayed? Like, did Salador tell somebody? Hmm. Well, no. <laughs> but it seems like if you're, if you're planning on assassinating a big timer, you don't go telling people that you're going to assassinate him. Yeah. No. I don't know. Donald's you have a... not, he's, you know, he's not the most careful, heedful man. 
he's very much being driven by emotion here. I yeah. mean, his plan is terrible. He's yeah. got a knife and he's going to use it. That's the extent of his plan. Yeah. It reminds me of Sam and Frodo at the Black Gate. You, you guys, you remember seeing the 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 book does a good yeah. job, but the movie it's it's like it's so clear how terrible a plan this is. They just watched thousands of troops march through this huge black gate where there's no cover, and they're going to run across hundreds of yards of open gravel and sneak into a gate, and that's their plan. like Davos. I've got this knife. This knife sword thing. And I'm just gonna walk up to her and stab her. It's like, come on. It's, uh, it's a little surprising that he got caught so early in the act, but this was never gonna end well. I, I didn't even think yeah. about the fact that Salador could have betrayed him. I'm, it's a good point. I guess any anyone on those ships could have. Um, although they didn't know that he was had murder on his mind, I guess. Huh. Interesting. Well, he wasn't in a great place, right? He's been spent, I think we predicted, like two weeks or something starving and dying on this rock, and it's all he's thought about. Um, You have to wonder if he would have taken Salador's advice and just slept on it for a day or two even, if he would have reconsidered or at least tried to formulate a little better plan. Yeah, but he definitely a... is still in that thing of just blaming Melisandre for everything. Like we talked about last time, he's not blaming Stannis. He's not blaming that. He's blaming Melisandre. She's the cause of everything bad right now, whether mm-hmm. that's true or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's it, it was it was really just a chapter to reinforce the last one. Mm-hmm. But uh, we did see George drop another one of those tasty little what if nuggets in here. And this is what really stood out for me. It wasn't like a big part of the chapter, but when Salador told him, hey, listen, Stannis doesn't have a ship to give you to get home. Stannis has nothing. Yeah. You know who has a lot? Me. I have a lot. And I could really use your talents. I will give you a ship. You just have to go smuggle for me, and you're going to be you know, back on your feet in no time producing more suns. Obviously, he's got the ammunition to produce more suns. I mean, seven suns? That's crazy. What are Cranking the them out, Davos. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since he seems like he's never at home. Are you sure they're your sons? <laughs> Drop it in. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, anyways, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. So we get another like little sparkling glimmer of, of, of what could happen if uh, this character just makes one different decision. Yeah. And and I guess I guess the the consequence of decisions can be altered throughout the entire series, but mm-hmm. very it seems to me like it's happening more and more often where George is is actually laying out the what ifs, and they're always mm. pretty sweet, and then the character always does the exact opposite, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or or some sort of circumstance makes the exact opposite happen. <laughs> It makes me wonder, like, if, if if someone was reading a novel of my life, and there's, like, these very clear what-ifs, mm. Matt, you could be so famous right now if you would have just practiced guitar more or something like that. And they're thinking they're reading the book going, oh, Matt, you should have just chosen to practice more. Nope, Matt didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, on that point, I, I, I love it when, when George does that. Um, hey, here's an alternate life you can have. Theon, you can take the black. Hey, 
you could do it right now, you know, doesn't do it. Uh, Davos, you could go back to your old life. It was pretty sweet. No, not going to do it. Got this other loyalty thing going on. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, Davos is in a, a little bit of a weird spot. I don't, I don't know what, what he could really get away with doing. Stannis would forever hold a grudge, probably, if Davos left. It's not the kind of guy you want to have a grudge against you. But, but yeah, Stan- I wonder if you... Go ahead. No, no, sorry, I interrupt you. Well, he's, Stannis is in a weird spot himself. Uh, you get the sense that he's just kind of pouting, you know? He's kind of hiding himself away, like, embarrassed about the battle, like, just pouting. And I think getting his rocks off, too, maybe, with the, the Red Lady. I'm not sure if we're supposed to believe that's <laughs> happening or not, but uh, it seems like maybe. I think it's a feeling of pouting. I got more of, like, just floundering, like, searching for any way to get out of this and, and get back up on top. Mm. I can see where yeah. you could see pouting. You should give yourself, like, a good day to really despair before you pick up those bootstraps again yeah like the keith urban song tonight i want to cry i'm just gonna cry tonight tomorrow will be better so yummy but it's been it's been weeks though, cry right? for me keith yeah it has yeah, yeah but i mean time is relative so mm. bringing also, physics into but, it huh brooke all right but speaking of, well, you know what I'm saying? Everybody needs a period yes, of, yes. Yep. of of just... <laughs> just wallowing. Keith Urban-esque. Yeah. Hello, wedding. <laughs> Before I get going again. Yes. <laughs> like, I think that uh, Davos, to his actions, probably reflect the mortality that he's feeling right now. I mentioned mm. that he's coughing up a lot of blood. <laughs> I imagine he's not feeling very well, possibly even close to death. I know he says a couple of times that he can't die now. Like he, he wouldn't have been miraculously yes. saved from the spear. Right. Yeah, just that was the reason out. he was saved. Yeah, but his body's putting up a real good argument against. Yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's almost like he feels like his right. His only like you're saying is his only reason for living right now. He thinks is to kill Melisandre. Mm-hmm. So that's why he doesn't even really need a good plan. Yes. He just needs to get in front of her with a knife. And do it, happen. and then yeah. the reason that he was, the reason has been satisfied, he's done, he can die then. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's got a lot of stuff going on. I was more grossed out by the diarrhea over the side of the ship thing. <laughs> I was interested in the physics of diarrhea over the ship. Like, how do you balance on a rail like that? Seems dicey. Years of practice. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, Years uh, of practice. Yeah. I think he's like, Hook your feet over the yeah, back of the ship. Strap yourself down. <laughs> just, just really reach far out. Uh, I can't, I can't, I can't believe I walked right hand. into introducing you guys to more of this conversation. I think it would be fine watching it if you were on the same ship. If you were watching from another ship, <laughs> it would be awful. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's that guy do? Oh, oh. <laughs> no. Oh, oh. Come on, man. I uh, I did have a word of the day before we move on. Okay. Do it. Word of the day! Sanity. In honor of Salador San. Your brain being in such a clear and correct state that it befuddles others into not believing you. A la Davos. Because Salador is offering such good advice to him here. 
and you just mm-hmm. can't hear it. Sanity. That's a good one. Got it. Put it in the ledger, Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Record it in the annals of Davos Finger lore. <laughs> annals. I'm pretty sure it's annals. I think you meant annals. Yeah. I said it that way for a reason, because I'm mad. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Actually, I think I've always pronounced it annals. <laughs> <laughs> you would. Hashtag say it how we want. Yeah. <laughs> Now we're just applying it to the dictionary, not Germ's really? names. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck uh, Webster. Fuck Miriam. We say it how we want. I'm going to call it a border accent. So <laughs> it's not Canadian. It's not American. <laughs> if you were standing right on the border, you could say anals and it would be fine. And no one would giggle. <laughs> Salt Lakeian is what it is. <laughs> Uh, <sighs> should we go to Jamie? We done yeah. Dobby. Do it. Sure. Open over the side of ship. <laughs> it's just going well tonight. Okay. Gross. Would you know that he's deadly in a fight and a smile so wide to get cheating at the palm of his hand? Jamie Lannister got a thing for sister, gonna keep it quiet, so we'll push a kid out a window. And when that king's lying. Dead, it doesn't matter, reason, bottom line is it's the treason And deep inside, could there be something only if you could see that he will could that be? Said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister Say it again, said Jamie, said Jamie, said Jamie Lannister <laughs> Jamie convinces Brienne to check out an inn as they approach the promise of a bed, a meal, and a reminder that it might just be the right thing to do all play a part in convincing her to take the risk. It's the Inn of the Kneeling Man, where Torrin Stark knelt before Aegon the Conqueror. But inside is no innkeep, but a loaded crossbow and a young boy to man it. The standoff is brief, however, money makes the world go round, after all. And, uh, in exchange for some money, the travelers are fed. Hard bread, oat cakes, and giant horse steaks. It appears that they had the right ingredients for garage but decided to pass and go another route. A man, his wife, and a boy they took in uh, now run the place, but they aren't any good at it. They're just kind of doing what they can with the opportunity. Uh, The Three Stooges admit that they are heading to King's Landing, and the pseudo-innkeep says they are nuts, outlining that all the ways are trouble. King's Road is patrolled by wolves, lions, and brigands. The river is patrolled by no end of pirates, and the Ruby Ford will be held by somebody, no telling who, whether it's... Bolton's men or Lannister's or somebody. Somebody will be there. He recommends going overland and sells them a set of horses that could only be outdone in their mismatchedness by our little party themselves. Brienne is quite literally robbed blind. Uh, blinder than one of the horses is. Uh, three gold dragons and the skiff they sailed up in uh, traded for these three crappy horses. Uh, sensing a sucker, the pseudo-keep, tries to sell rooms for silver, but Brienne has none of it. So they just break Jamie's leg chains uh, so they can ride and leave immediately, uh, listening to the pseudo-keep's advice for the journey. They set off, though, and ignore part of his advice, taking the road he warned against. Brienne feels he was in league with the bandits and doesn't want to take the road he was suggesting. They travel for half the night and stop to rest, and this is kind of where it gets good. We get a, a peek into Jamie's head and thoughts, 
Uh, and as indicated by Brooke in our first Jamie chapter, dude is crazy obsessed with Cersei. She convinced him to join Kingsguard. She, basically, she fucks him stupid one night and issues the challenge, Is it a rock you want or me? And he chooses her. But in a cruel trick, Cersei is taken away from King's Landing, robbing Jamie of his incestment. It's like an investment that you're just getting incest Fuck out of. Uh... He doesn't share all this with Brienne, though, but instead antagonizes her, equating them both as Kingslayers. He then remembers the murder of Eris, not unfondly, but as something just that needed to be done. We've heard most of the details here, so we won't go into it, but the one interesting detail is that he had the ability to name the next king, but elected not to do that, instead stating, name who you bloody well like. He awakes with a boot to his ribs, eats, and they're on their way south again with no dreams to haunt him. And that's the end of the chapter. Incessant. Ah. Yeah, I do what <laughs> I can. That was pretty good. <laughs> uh, so first things first, Matt, I think we need, uh, we have the crossroads for the end of the crossroads. I think we need some sort of sound bite for the end of the kneeling man. I couldn't think of a musical I thought of that too. It, but I did think of a penitent man. Penitent man. Neil! From Indiana Jones. Before God. No? Oh. Huh? Yeah, uh, I do. Yeah, we can throw that in there. Kneeling man? Sure. Alright. Um, yeah. I'm going to think about that now. Think about it. If you got a, a musical one, that would be better. So, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> not a whole lot of great stuff in this, in this one to me. Uh, I guess, you know, I came on pretty hard on Jamie in the last chapter. And I think I, I don't mm-hmm. think I, my mind's changed too much, but you know this story about about you know this woman that he really loves. You know they're fifteen years old, and she basically offers him sex on the reg. You know, fifteen my woman I love offering me herself forever. I probably would have taken whatever vow she wanted too. So I don't know. Ooh. No. Yeah. Yeah, there's no denying that she's got his number completely. My contention last cast or last time we talked about Jamie was that he didn't follow her along like a puppy dog. I'm a puppy for your love. That's a Dave Matthews lyric. I latch you down, tail between my legs. I'm a puppy for your love. But uh not a Keith Urban one, Brooke. No thanks. But she definitely better. She definitely has his number. Yeah, it's it's almost stuff of legends how how much he sacrificed for her and and the depth of his yeah most obsession with her. But uh, I think we're going to be dealing with another situation where uh, a young boy, only sixteen, is a man in this world. It's faced with <laughs> the same decision in Catelyn's chapter, so can't wait Ooh, to discuss nice that. Parallel. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Mm. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Good one. Except, mm. except Jamie has a better excuse. I mean, at least he's been in love with this woman for a while. Anyway, uh, we'll we'll get to that when we get to the parallel. But um, I don't know. I, did you guys have a lot for this chapter? I, I didn't have much. Um, 
a little bit of a, a Robert Frost mention, Promises to Keep and Many Miles to Go Before I Sleep. That was in there. I think that was Gurm being, uh, giving an homage. The Innkeep. Oh, hey. The Innkeep. Uh, I thought, I, I thought of, uh, Wayne's World with the, um, I think it's the Chris Farley moment where he offers them all sorts of information about, uh, Mr. Big's travel schedule. And they, they come back later and they're like, the information seemed extraneous at the time. Next stop is St. Louis. And he's going to come back through Chicago on his way to Detroit. Thanks. You know, for a security guard, he had an awful lot of information, don't you think? <laughs> this guy's just got loads of information, right? Just like, oh, no, the river's mm. no good. The road's no good. Uh, you know, all this information. Interesting. I, I think... Uh, Jamie Jamie sees it and, and hopes that Brienne does too, I think, and it looks like later in the chapter that she did. Smelled that smelled that trap just like Jamie did. I don't know. Yeah, I liked seeing them starting to think alike. Yeah. Yeah, I was started you're starting to see them drawn a little closer well, together. I would I would argue it's nice to see Jamie catching up with Brienne's thought process. Like in their getaway from Robin Regeer, uh in the last Jamie chapter. Brienne was mm-hmm. way ahead of that game. And now Brienne knows that they're being tricked, possibly tricked yeah. by this innkeep. Yeah. Um, but she's playing along with it yeah. so that and she I, can. And I said, and Jamie's too, like, she I really robbed. hope she figures this out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and she I, has. She had. And I said, yeah. too, that she got robbed blind, but she knows she knows she was getting robbed. She's like, I've yeah. got the money and I need the horses. It's not robbery. It's. It's a choice I'm making. Like, I'm aware that they're not worth the money. I get it. You know, like, she wasn't yeah, really she's being got swindled. more important things to do than haggle at this point. Yeah, huh? yeah. So Jamie can just shut up. Or <laughs> we'll, like, weld those shackles together under the horse. <laughs> that yeah, would be like awesome. That. <laughs> <laughs> Except I would predict a bad end for that horse, Brooke. So I don't know if that's, yeah, that's a path you really want him to go down. Oh, that could hurt, yeah. yeah. What about, um, just a, a question on, uh, I, I looked and I couldn't find anything just because I was curious. The checkered pink and black uh, heraldry that was on the the one horse that wasn't a complete ripoff. Um, but I couldn't find anywhere what that heraldry was. If oh. any of our listeners know, chime in do you know do you know matt brooke no i'd have to search for it i looked but i couldn't find anything i mean i yeah i went to like their heraldry page on uh, one of the wikis and couldn't find it anywhere i don't you guys have anything else for this chapter i didn't have much no i'm good uh just that i really like brienne yeah i don't know she's pretty great yeah they kind of just they keep mentioning like she's slow and plotting and like that's those are things that Jamie thinks about her, but I think really she's just thoughtful and aware mm-hmm. and careful, you know. Yeah. Well, here's I, I thought a lot about her because I kind of like Jamie, so I'm kind of like wanting to not like Brienne because they're kind of having it out right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can't help it. I just like her, and I think we've talked about the idea that's out there a predominant at least for the past few years or whatever of a strong female character i think brooke you said this once in media the the definition of a strong female character is just 
a female that acts like a guy, right? Was that you that said that once, Brooke? Well, I probably I won't take credit for it, but it's true. I know we've talked about it on a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so unfair, right? Uh, sure, Brienne does embody a lot of things that, in Westeros at least, are common male characteristics, right? Not only mm-hmm. is she big, but uh, she's proficient at things men in Westeros would be commonly proficient in, um, sword fighting and all of that stuff. She wears armor, all of those different things. But I love that she still possesses those qualities that uh, might be looked down upon. Like she's, at least for anybody, she's got, she, she, com- she possesses a ton of compassion, uh, empathy, loyalty, like thoughtfulness. It's not just this, like Scad said, this big plodding cow of a woman going around and fighting people in armor. She's very smart and she's, uh, she's very empathetic, which I think is, it gets her far, right? She's able yeah. to put herself in other people's shoes. Um, yeah. The, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I kind of want to move on from those overarching qualities now. Okay. Well, I, I will just add really quickly that... No, take all your time. I mean, I wanted to move on from me saying it. I want to hear what <laughs> you guys have to say. I'm like, hurry it up, Brooke, because I want to finish. <laughs> I would say that uh, that we do see time and time again that her strong characteristics, like her ability to fight and uh, her physical presence are a real detriment to her in this world because she doesn't have those things along with um, you know, the female attractiveness, which is what is the forgivable part of that mm-hmm. um, and, and what it needs to be combined with to be admirable and socially acceptable. Very, very hard for her. But in Jamie and Brienne's relationship, here's the thing that keeps Jamie from openly accepting her and them being like best of friends and her even becoming, you know, like eclipsing Cersei in his mind. It's because she doesn't have a sense of humor and she has no showmanship. Two things that Jamie has in spades that make but him. She... Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I interrupted. Go. That, uh, that to him, put him, like, I, I guess, would put somebody with her fighting skills over the top, like, mm-hmm. to actually make him respect her. Yeah. And she's just like, I ain't got time for that. Yeah, it's just not in her nature, and she's not about right. to change or, or try hard to, like, impress him or anything. Like, she's, as for, for all of her insecurities and her lack of self-esteem, she does know who she is. Yeah. She just doesn't like it very much. Yeah, that I, I would add that caveat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, she she kind of reminds me a bit of Sansa in her lofty view of what knighthood should be, right? Mm. And I think that might be why she hates Jamie so much, because she kind of just loathes everything about him. Mm-hmm. Yet he has achieved that highest level of knighthood. You know, like the King's Guard is like the all star team of knights in Westeros, mm. and. And she probably feels like he's just crapping all over something that's, you know, an ideal for her. Well, and she she says as much in the chapter, um, or maybe it was the last chapter. I don't remember one of the two. And she says Jamie that. says it too. He thinks it anyways. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I didn't think about this until until you guys were just talking about all the uh, the qualities that she possesses and what Jamie thinks of them and how he sees her. But I I, I just realized that I like Brienne a lot more. 
after these two Jamie chapters than mm-hmm. I did reading the Catelyn chapters. And I don't know whether I'm just going to give Gurma another back massage here or what, but I think he's he's changed the tone with which we view her. Obviously, Jamie and Cat are very different characters to perceive things differently. But I think the mm-hmm. way Jamie sees her, even though he's insulting her a lot, a lot of the time, we still see her more admirable qualities. She's also doing more, you know, she's leading this party. She did the whole thing with the island and right. pushing the rocks on the boat. So maybe maybe it's just she's been doing cooler things. But with Catelyn, all those chapters that we had, you know, there's the mopey scene at dinner where she doesn't want to sing and, you know, the in love scene or or not maybe in the tent or whatever and running away. But it's it's all kind of it's kind of mopey girl in guy's armor, Brienne. And now we get Jamie's view, which even though he's insulting her, is it's exciting. I like Brienne a lot more in these two chapters. I don't know. Do you guys get any of mm-hmm. any of that sense too, or no? No, I'm glad you point that out. I agree. I would too. Yep. It seems like she's. Uh, I don't know if she's if she's coming into her own now, and we're seeing it kind of the, for the first time with her actually taking the reins and leading. Um, or if she's done it before and we just haven't seen it. Yeah, but, she's had uh, more opportunity to. Yeah, to distinguish herself, kind of. Yep. Yeah. All right, we ready for Tyrion? Mm-hmm. So ready. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies, Tyrion Lannister or imp, if you please. Our dear tittering Varys enters his chambers to find an uninvited house guest, Tyrion Lannister, who he hasn't seen since the Battle of the Blackwater. So after bantering for a moment about the humble nature of Varys's accommodations, he drinks water, not wine. Tyrion learns a few things that, uh, let's just kind of bullet point here. So, so first of all, Grandmaster Pycelle, or Maester Pycelle, by order of the Archmaesters of Old Town, has been restored to his position and is back on the small council. Mmm, yummy. Uh, also, Sir Boris Blunt has been restored to the Kingsguard. Remember, he had gotten the pink slip for failing to die in defense of Tommen when Bronn had kidnapped Tommen on the road to Rosby. Uh, Tyrion notes that Blunt will be loyal to Tywin. Um, also, Varys knows, of course, about Tyrion's investigation into Mandon Moore and slimily praises Mandon for dying nobly as a Kingsguard member ought. And then finally, it's revealed that the Kettle Blacks, remember those three brothers with the awfully confusing names? Thanks a lot, Gurm. Uh, but anyways, those Kettle Blacks are double-crossing Tyrion and getting paid by Cersei to spy for her. Osmond in particular, who's got an ever-present boner for Cersei, um, who happens to be playing him like a fiddle. So, after all of this gracious fill-in, uh, thanks, Gurm, for filling us all in on all this stuff, Tyrion turns to the real reason for his visit. He wants Varys to bring him Shay. Varys reveals that he knows of Tywin's threat to kill Shay and, ask if Tyr- and asks if Tyrion's request is wise, to which Tyrion reveals that he actually wants her to come because he plans to send her away where she'll be safe from his father. So Tyrion's breaking up with Shay. And here we can't help but see echoes of Tysha in the way that uh, Tyrion's worrying, or Tisha, if you're scared. 
So Shay, you'll remember, has been serving Lawless Stokeworth, as arranged by Tyrion, to keep her out of harm's way. He's seen her around. He's even brushed past her in the hallway once, and it's killing him that he hasn't even been able to talk to her. So it's decided that the safest way for this rendezvous to happen is to have Varys bring Shay to his own quarters, where Tyrion would be waiting. They set a time later for that evening, and Tyrion heads out to begin a waiting game that is not unlike a kid on Christmas Eve, but with a ton more sexy thoughts. So the rendezvous does indeed go down, and in the interest of the children, I'll refrain from going into too many details. Although I will say that Shay is uh, quite mm, enthusiastic, and Tyrion is quite quick. Uh, During their pillow talk, cigarette hanging loosely from Tyrion's lips, Shay reassures Tyrion that he will never be ugly in her eyes, of course in reference to Tyrion's whacked up face. And here Tyrion, now half-heartedly, makes his attempt to send her away, citing her own safety from his father. Shay, of course, isn't having any of that and is seemingly more worried about her gowns and jewels that were taken from her when she had to move out of her manse. Uh, she also makes a pitch, by the way, to be at and experience Joffrey's wedding because it's just going to be amazing. Again, Tyrion does a terrible job of tearing the band-aid off in one smooth, quick motion and only succeeds in angering Shay and therefore receiving the silent treatment from her. In the end, after some talk, Shay again professes her fondness for Tyrion, stating that she likes being his whore and implores him to keep her safe. And Tyrion, knowing he's a fool for not doing what he had originally set out to do, promises to do just that. And there it is. Uh, Tyrion didn't do what he set out to do, which was break up with her, and he knows he's more the fool for failing to do so. Anyways, the chapter ends with Tyrion sending Bronn to find Simon Silvertongue. Remember him? He's that singer that came to Shay's manse uh, back in A Clash of Kings to play for her, and, and he saw Tyrion there when Tyrion snuck out to see her. Well, the little rascal is back, and this time in the employ of Shay's dear old Lawless. And he's talking. He's talking about the wedding and all this stuff. So concerned about the seemingly ever-presence of this singer, Tyrion decides that the two should meet and sends Bronn off to fetch him. And that's where the chapter ends. Uh, jeez, what did you guys think of uh, Tyrion's breakup attempt? Understandable? I mean... Too bad? I love Tyrion, so... What could he have done? Sometimes I don't criticize him, maybe when I should... I, I think he's being selfish. I think he's thinking with his penis, maybe with his heart, if you want to be generous. But, yeah, man, he's got a, a good thing going, and uh, I don't know. Seem, seems like he should have mm. followed through. Yeah, if he really, truly cared for her, like, completely unselfishly, he just, he just get it done. Yeah. Um, but you can't blame him for for wanting to be with her and her comfort and and to give her a good life here at court. But uh, it's really playing with fire, especially with Tywin's threats. Yeah. On the other side, I agree with both of you guys. I'm looking at it from Tyrion's point of view. It's like this guy's had a really crappy life in terms of relationships with other people, and. 
I don't think you guys would disagree with me in saying that deep down Tyrion knows, I think, that Shay doesn't love him. Um, but he's still kind of – he still does it, right? And it seems like this is Tyrion trying to kind of convince himself to give up like the one thing in his life that doesn't really suck right now. And so I can get why it would be hard, uh, especially with her talking about how <laughs> – how fond she is of him and how he'll never be ugly in her eyes. Yeah, she's completely unflinching. And, like, right. I, if I was in Tyrion's shoes, I'd love her just for that. Like, yeah. even if yeah. I knew that, you know, this was all just a game and she was just trying to advance her station in life, that's fine. Just continue to not turn away in revulsion. Mm-hmm. And so I get why it's hard for him, but I also agree with everything you guys have said. Hmm. I went through a really uh, difficult breakup because I didn't tear the Band-Aid off like I should have, and I made it difficult on myself, and it just never ends up good. This never turns out the way it should. Wait a second. You dated somebody other than Mrs. Matt? Other than Padme? Yeah. Heck yeah, I did. Oh, I'm Matt uh, Thacker. Matt was a player. What? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I dated in high school and stuff. Hmm. Now there's this girl that uh, I was dating. I was a senior and she was not. She was going to. So I went off to college and she was still in high school. And I never really like officially like broke up with her. Oh. I just kind of started dating other people, which was oh, such a loser thing dude. for me to do. I know, right? Man. I know, right? It was man. just a terrible thing to do. And it's, you know. And you're going to say, well, Matt, you must have not done a lot of things that you regret if this is one of high up on your list. But sincerely, it's one of my biggest regrets I've ever had in my life was the way I treated that poor girl who was a dandy girl who was a wonderful lady. And uh, I did it all wrong. But I learned from that. Mm-hmm. So I'm better for it now, guys. But it was a real dick thing to do. That's one of those choices, Matt, if we were reading your your novel. Yeah. Your you guys would be like, oh, Matt. Oh, Matt. You should have just called her or gone over to her you house. Would've, you would have been doing, <laughs> would've been doing texting, the same thing. Left yeah, a post that we're to note, anything. Right now. Like, Matt should have just done it. He should have just done it. Mm-hmm. That's a, this is like yeah. such a revelation for me. I mean, I hear about scads. Lesbian adventures all the time. <laughs> have, we cover, have we covered this on this cast? Oh yeah, they're right. not bad. Hmm. But Maybe by the by the way, I'm, I'm not going to dive into that whole story. But I I I never treated any of those any of those relationships poorly. I'm I'm friends. Well, I'm not friends with her anymore, I suppose. But we didn't end on bad terms. That's good. Mm-hmm. I was. We were very clear about where we stood and everything. It was well. She, she wasn't good on the relationship. Good on. Yeah. Now I've apologized since. Oh, that's and, good. You went back and. Uh, yeah. I, she, I, did she I, say? Yeah. I thought we were still dating. <laughs> She's like to this, Wait, we to this day. <laughs> Are you asking me out again? Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I liked the look into Varys's like, like House? backstage. I guess, yeah. but I feel like like he definitely has another set of chambers smuggled away somewhere because these rooms are described as like really sparse. He had like three rooms. 
Yeah, yeah Bare- it's, barely it's full. Like a cover. Where is he we know all his that costumes? he has. Yeah, he has <laughs> costumes, robes, perfumes, makeup, yeah. all of his lotion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I suppose they could be uh, under the bed with the counterweight spell or whatever. Maybe he's got them secured mm-hmm. away down there. But yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. There's definitely he's definitely got more more little mousy places somewhere. Yeah, yeah he's got like a total man cave that's totally decked out, or like yeah. a eunuch cave. Yeah. I'm, a eunuch yeah, I'm cave. sure his end game isn't just a hundred percent power. I know that that's a big part of it. He loves feeling in control and and moving all the pieces around the chessboard and stuff. But part of it's got to be like the luxury of being yeah. super rich. Man, I don't know. I. I mean, I don't think I'm alone here, but he's a character I just have not figured out at all. Yeah, I have no idea what his motiva- motivation is. None. But, you are not alone. Yeah. Well, well, Anyone did, that says differently is selling something. <laughs> I did like <clears throat> Tyrion's observation. You have water in your flagon? Yeah. The <laughs> first, first Planetos problem. But uh, yeah, it's it's just an indication that he, for for whatever reason, this hideaway is meant to give a very specific picture of drab and low maintenance and humble, humble. Yeah, it's also like a a chaste sort of chaste. Yeah, great word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Keeping up the, I'm just an innocent eunuch. Yeah, yeah. with back problems. Mm-hmm. Yes, with back. Problems. Sleep on a hard bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but but yeah. you you you've kind of mentioned it in your summary. I don't think he was really surprised, but that Tyrion was there. Do you? With the tittering and the. No way. Hmm. He, I think he was. Barris knows what's going on. Also, the fact that he acted surprised means that. Like if he really was yeah. surprised, he, he wouldn't would act it. surprised. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, we got that. Uh, well, that's up for debate too, I guess. I'm thinking the only other time I've seen Tyr- Varys surprised is when Ned got his head cut off. Yeah. And we talked about that, about I think, that, too. Was it. he was he acting there or was he legitimately surprised? Yeah. And we had that. We had that. Uh, what was it? The moonlight ride with Tyrion through the streets when he. He told Tyrion his backstory, which, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe oh, that was maybe a moment of honesty. Mm. I don't know. I, yeah. I, he, he tells yeah. him in this chapter, he tells him outright that he's spying on him for Tywin, right? Or at least Tywin thinks he's spying on him. Uh, do you think Do you think Varys actually considers Tyrion in part of his game as like a a friend or as just a piece to be moved or... They get along think, pretty I think well. we've discussed this before, that if Varys wasn't so, like, yeah. focused on whatever his endgame is, yeah. that he would see a equal in intelligence and cleverness and humor. Yeah. yeah. And they would actually be friends, but yeah. they they both have to play the game. Yeah. Because they are both important pieces. Um, and Varys's big role right now, I mean cut this out is this spoiler that we know come from clear back in game of thrones now that the two guys talking in the caverns and aria overheard it were varus and illyrio is that common knowledge yet I don't yeah that's is it i think we decided that that was who it was yeah when we just dis- when we discussed that chapter because i had that chapter we decided just to let everybody know okay mm-hmm. varus's whole job then right now is sowing discord right mm-hmm 
Um, Delaying, and, yeah. 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 This is a way to do that. He's potentially pitting Tyrion against Ty- Tywin. Well, on the other hand, Tyrion's pretty low right now. Like, he doesn't exercise a lot of influence. So I don't know how much discord he could sow with Tyrion right now, because no one really cares about Tyrion, you know? So I don't know. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's kind of like... Uh, Tyrion's kind of low-hanging fruit right now. Kind of like how Varys... Uh, I don't think this is a spoiler either. Now we're forgetting a lot of whether they're spoilers or not. How Varys tried to secret Gendry away up to the wall, just to kind of maybe mm-hmm. have the piece in his pocket. Kind of, you know, be nice to Tyrion. Keep him in your pocket. Stay on his good side just, just in, in case. case he can That's come around. Point. But I don't know. That's all conjecture. Man, the amount of balls T- uh, Varys has in the air right now is just astounding. I don't yeah. know how he keeps it up. I think we talked about that with the little finger too. But just more balls in the air. I don't know how, how they're able to keep that's for and then, he has uh, on his person. <laughs> yeah, and and backup plans for backup plans for backup yeah. plans. Yeah, at some point you got to think this guy can't be this like on all the time, right? Yeah, it seems he really can't be. That's why I think he has secret rooms where he can just like undo the belts on his robe and (laughs) let it all hang out. (laughs) Oh yeah, or not? Not hang out. (laughs) Yeah, he he could always wearing a fat suit too. Like that could be the big reveal. It's true. Who knows? Um, just one more thing I want to mention on this chapter is when Tyrion runs across Loras. Yes, I was going to bring that up too. (laughs) I thought he was a real jerk for riling up Loras because he knew exactly what he was doing. But I thought it was a very poetic outcome when Loras says, when the sun has set, no candle can replace it. Oh my god, that's love. Yeah. I just totally (laughs) eye-rolled. Really? I think that's up there with some of Gurm's best stuff. That's, a, yeah. that's beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, it's very oh, teen angsty on, if you consider yeah. the you know the source, but it's, yeah, it's he's made a, a rash decision joining the King's Guard, but yeah. that wound is still fresh and it's still just oh so beautiful. You kind of see the Tyrion and Jamie brotherly thing going on here. They both just like sometimes they just like to rile people up just to rile them up it seems like but yeah. but it seemed too that Tyrion. Uh, maybe, maybe i was maybe i was just sucked in by Tyrion. but i thought he meant it when he said no i'm i'm sorry like i loved somebody too once you know oh i think so too i, mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't mean to yeah. rile you up so i don't know whether he meant to or he only was sorry after he realized how successful well, he was <laughs> It was like when, like, yeah, oh, it's shit, like when you, really when you're just I'm like, sorry. yeah, it's like when you're teasing someone lightly and it's just like light jabs for you, but then unknowingly to you, you've just hit them hard and you can like see it on their face and you're like, oh crap. Yeah. I got, so. I got bullied a reasonable amount in middle school. And one, one thing a guy would just, he'd torment me after lunch. And one time he just slammed my head into a locker as I was like trying to get my stuff out. I didn't see him. He was like behind she me or whatever. And, uh. And I just started tearing up, like not like bawling all over the place, falling down crying, but like tearing up just like out of mm-hmm. sadness, like I don't know what to do about this kind of thing. And the guy just softened up and he never bullied me again. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was just like, oh, man, like, like, like he had one of those moments where he just realized that it was really negatively affecting me. And um, you know, the opposite of what you always tell your kids to do, like you got to stand up to bullies, like, no, just cry in front of them. Right. And, you know, maybe they'll lighten up. I don't know. It's probably bad advice. Worked for me that one time. Huh. Jeez. Wish we would have been friends in middle school. 
I would have tried to like fight for you, but then I would have probably gotten beaten up. Well, you'd have been in fourth like, grade at it. this point, so <laughs> you really would have got beaten up. <laughs> tiny, I was, tiny little Chihuahua Matt. I was, you. That's seriously what I was <laughs> all through. Like I've always been a really loyal person, but I I really possess no uh, beneficial traits to like to being, being my friend. <laughs> right yeah <laughs> other than just my right. zeal for standing up for you but uh in the end they'll just snap me like a twig and then come after you again so that was me maybe they'll break their arm anyways you're back it's possible maybe <laughs> done with Tyrion. yeah all Never. right let's jump to aria aria on the foot horse face sticking with the pointy end aria on the foot, Paul's face, sticking with the pointy end. There's a singing man coming down the road, and Arya thinks her luck has run out. Hot Pie and Gendry hide with the horses behind a wall, Arya behind a tree. An archer is about to open fire over the wall after they discuss it amongst themselves when Arya comes out of hiding. And here we meet three fun characters a singer by the name Thomas Evans, Lem Lemon Cloak, and Angie, an archer from the Dornish Marches. You may remember Angie. He he won the Tourney of the Hand Archery Contest way back when and kind of was was all uh, hot to trot for himself and thinking he was a badass. Seems like he still has that confidence here. Anyway, there's a bit of a standoff where, like, oh, I don't trust you, you don't trust me, let's fight, maybe not. Arya thinking in the back of her head, can I get to the archer before he takes us all down? Uh, Angie even sends a, a warning shot across her nose. I said across her nose, not up it. Um, so in the end, though, they exchange fake names, uh, and Arya learns that these are, quote-unquote, king's men. Uh, they're Robert's men, in truth. Um, they're still loyal to Robert however many months after his death this is. These are essentially men that had been uh, dispatched by Eddard, to bring down the mountain, if you remember that uh, that day that, that Eddard dispersed those troops. Uh, so Hot Pie discloses that they are bound for River Run, which they learn from these three that that's a long way off. And in turn, uh, they're offered uh, a rest at an inn and a full belly. So in the end, hunger and fear of Angie's bow win out over the mistrust they have, so they follow along to the inn. Uh, it, the the travel goes pretty quickly. They sing a few tunes. Life is a highway. Uh, after they reach the inn, Gendry stays to guard the horses as Arya eyes the skiff. Yes, the skiff. It's the same inn that Brienne found, the inn of the kneeling man. So they eat uh, hard bread, probably similar bread that Brienne had had. Uh, which Hot Pie berates, saying that they needed the dough too long. Uh, and Arya is presented with a paper. Credit for three golden dragons for her three horses. Ironic that she's being offered credit for three golden dragons, since we actually know they have three golden dragons that Brienne just paid them. Anyway, Arya instead tries to negotiate for the skiff and skiff training instead of this credit. <laughs> but before they can respond, some riders arrive. And the trap is sprung. Lem grabs Arya. She knows that she is going to be a mouse again under someone else's control. She's restrained as the riders enter, and there's nobody really surprising coming in and out, just your regular retinue of people, until Harwin. Harwin! 
After a heartfelt plea, he recognizes her, tells everyone else who she really is, and for the first time since Eddard's beheading, I think Arya truly feels safe. Maybe. And that's the end of the chapter. Of course, I didn't remember, I didn't have any idea who Harwin was the first time I was reading these books. She's like, Harwin! I was like, who? <laughs> oh, I think I did. Do you remember him? I think I did. I, I think because I had remembered that, uh, I mean, I, I had remembered that Eddard had sent some of his own men with these guys. Right. And s- but what did he do that made him so memorable? Well, yeah, I, he was just kind of another name, at least my first read so through. So good at names. Oh, it's scary. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I don't know. I just, I remembered that he was the horse master's son. I don't know. I, I think I remembered it the first time. Good on you, buddy. But, mm. um, but anyway, neither here nor there, what I remember or don't. Um, he remembers her. That's the important thing, which is, mm. you know, it took him, it took him a minute. <laughs> but, well, yeah. But, he's got short hair now. Yeah. He wasn't expecting yeah. to see her. Half the people think she's Tons a freaking boy. Yeah. But, yeah. uh. Yeah, so exciting. So, these Kingsmen, what do you think of them? They're fun. Yeah, they are fun. They they they, they kind of seem to be like playing out like like they're, I don't know, like Robin Hood types. But right. But but this thing with the gold dragons really irked me. Yeah, that was good picking up on that one. <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you offering me credit when I, you know, the reader knows you were just given gold? Um, I don't know. I. It, it's it sounds like a weak cover up for robbing people. Yes, yes, which nah. is they're they're not Robin Hood types; they're just robbing people. Um, <laughs> At least as far as we know, right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're nice about it, though, right? They're they're friendly. I mean, at no point did <laughs> I really think they were gonna engage with Arya's party and and kill them or anything. You know, like right. But 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 are these? I don't know. Are they like I? I had in my head like a what if? What if Jamie, Brienne, and Cleos had gone down the the road that this guy had recommended? Would is, are these the people they would have run into? I think so. Would that have been a battle between Jamie, Brienne, Cleos, and Lem, Angie, yeah. and Tom? Because that would have been a fun battle. Could have been yeah. good. Helps to have an archer with you. Yeah, I think I would have taken. Mm. Uh, I think I would have taken the uh, bandits. Given Jamie being hmm. uh, chained up, yeah, and you wonder how sincere they were. Like, were they really gonna take Arya under their wing? I mean, obviously they were gonna take her stuff, their horses and everything. They mm-hmm. said they were. They were really nice about it. I love how Tom like sat her down and he's like, yeah. "Listen, yeah, we're gonna take your horses. Uh-huh. Uh, I got this piece of paper. I got an IOU for you." <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember being nervous <laughs> the first time I read this. I. I I thought at any time they could turn out to be like the mom and the her two sons on Goonies. <laughs> and they're kind of nice to him at first. And then all yeah. of a sudden they're going to kill Chunk and put his hand in a blender and everything. <laughs> hey, kid. I want you to spill your guts. Tell us everything. 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 Okay, I'll talk. <laughs> in third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. <laughs> <laughs> Have you watched that movie as an adult? It's difficult. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? It's delightful. It's one of my. As a child, so great. As an adult, <laughs> <laughs> oh really? 
<laughs> it's so bad. Well, it's one of Aowen's favorite it. movies. I watched it just the other night thinking, I think it's about time for Luke and Leia to, to watch Goonies. I think it's that time in their life when they could see it. And I watched it and I was like, yeah, we're going to wait a little longer. Did, oh, did really? She... Yeah. Did you yeah. show them the version with the floating octopus? Oh, I guess you didn't get that far. With the with with the Kraken? Yeah. Now they just weren't, not that I wouldn't let them watch it, but they're just not too into it yet. I don't think they get the full humor of like the truffle shuffle and stuff yet. So <laughs> wait a little longer. Yeah, different reasons for not letting them. Like, you won't appreciate this enough. You don't get to. Also, I, I never picked up on as a kid, but the Asian kid with all the gadgets and stuff yes. and the bad accent. Yes. Like, mm, uh-huh. this feels a little racist. Yeah. It's totally yeah. racist. <laughs> a little bit. Hey, Data, where are you going? I'm saying booby traps. You mean booby traps. That's what I said, booby traps. Quiet. God, these guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't have fly. That wouldn't have flown in the in 2015. I think. No, no. Oh man. Yeah. Supposedly a sequel coming oh, out. Like good a, times. Another. But, uh, they keep teasing it. I don't know. No. They've, yeah, they've teased it. I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever happen. No, yeah. Don't. Yeah, I <sighs> just left it alone. <clears throat> Anyways, Arya. Well, how about, about Arya? Um. Confidence versus stupidity for Arya? I don't know. Uh, I don't call it stupidity. I'd call it just being a kid. Well, I don't know. The skiff right? thing. It's like, yeah, we'll we'll just steal this skiff and we can do it. Like, well, uh... they made it this far on crazy plans. <laughs> steal a wheel of cheese and these horses. I'll kill a guard. Yeah. We'll get out of here. And it works. I mean, has she had her 10th birthday yet? You guys know I'm the worst with ages on this thing. But she's just she's a kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. And that's uh, we've talked about this before. That's that's what Gurm does very well. He doesn't write these hero children that are off making adult decisions. He writes kids that make kid decisions. Deal with the consequences of them. Yeah, I mean Arya usually makes. I don't know whether it's luck or whatever, but she usually ends up making pretty good decisions. Yeah, think, like, pretty yeah, solid. Things work out for her, like somehow, yeah. you know. But pretty adult decisions. <laughs> yeah, like oh, this guard is standing there, and we have to get out of the castle. Eh, easiest way to get him out of the way is kill him, right? I, yeah. I, I, I also love that she's always got Gendry by her side, like mm-hmm. naysaying every idea she has. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. The current could go the other way, or what if the wind points us the other direction, or. Like, I don't think the that's a good idea. Moss is growing on that side of the Yes, like, he's always there, like, doubting her. It's a, it's a good check for the, all that uh, youthful optimism she has. And then Hot Pie's just bouncing in the saddle, singing songs with Angai or Angi or whatever. We, however we decide to pronounce him. Just good yeah. old Hot Pie. Oh my gosh, yeah, the, the three of them are actually really good representations of people you come across in, like, the workplace. There's the doers, like Arya, just, mm. we're just going to head down, get her done. There's the mm. um, procrastinating naysayers, like, like Gendry, like, they never get going on anything because they're always cautious. what if thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then there's just, like, the middle of the road, <laughs> I don't know. The guy who's just more interested Middle. in his next snack. 
Yeah. Like, when's, when's Middle management break? idiots. <laughs> Living for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like he's just like he's just there to get a paycheck. Yeah, he's not invested in his job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of my favorite lines from this uh from this chapter is when uh Arya notes it's when they're coming out from behind the wall and she notes that Gendry looks like a full grown man ready and dangerous or something. I can't remember the exact word she used. And then at the end it just says, mm-hmm. and hot pie looked like hot pie. <laughs> looks like hot pie. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh. All right. Anything else on Arya? Mm, I'm good. Yeah, oh, I'm good I, too. I, I, told, I thought of a song for the end of the kneeling man. Great. Uh, same era as Crossroads. On Bended Knee by Boys to Men. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> you remember That's that? good. Oh, God, give me the reason. I'm I don't think I... Yes. Isn't that about proposing marriage? No, it's about oh. uh, uh, saying sorry. Oh. It's like pleading for forgiveness. It's that kind of a song. Okay, yeah, that fits. Nice. I'm sorry I marched my whole army the... down to this place on the river and I'll kneel in front of you. All right, I'll buy it. Yeah, I just enjoy the Boys to Men. Though I'm more familiar with, like, the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode where they're competing in <laughs> Boys to Men a cappella contest. Oh, jeez. And they start singing Motown Phillies back again, like, 50 <laughs> times throughout the show. Boys to Men Going on. Da, 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 da. Not too hard. Not too soft. Boys to Men. ABC. Mm-hmm. The so boys to men does that? Green. No. Oh, the, the, in, oh, it's in Philadelphia. Yeah. They play along with many, many bands that I love. So don't think that I'm, uh, you know, like lustily attacking boys to men, but they play Wendover now, which is. Uh, Ew. Wendover Wendover is a town just on the other side of uh of the Nevada Utah state line. So it's about a 90 minute drive from here. So tons of people just go there and gamble for like the night or whatever. And they have like a concert hall there and like they get I don't know, second, third the pepper mill. Pepper mill, yeah. Uh, they, they get they, they get, get all the bands that are just like trying to, to hold on, on to the dream yeah, yeah. for just a couple more years. Yeah, yeah, your standard them. casino. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. De- Death Leopards and <laughs> yeah. Uh, every, every time I come, every, every single soul. time I come to Calgary uh, for work, I stay at, at a hotel there, uh, an inn and casino, and they have. Uh, an advertisement for Brett Michaels about to play there. Yeah. And it's all, it's never when I'm there. I'm always so angry. <laughs> Why? He just, just played so Huh? He just played here. Did he? Yeah. Where? Oh, it's some club. I can't remember which one it is. I, I'm, <laughs> a, I'm a Poison fan, but I, uh, I bought his solo album that came out several, several years ago. Not so good. It was the depot. Um, yeah, I wouldn't imagine it was very good. No. <laughs> I'm so Anyways. I'm so intrigued by this magical ninety minute drive from Salt Lake little Oh, it's awful. Gamora. Is it just full of lapsed Mormons? Tell me it is. Um, Probably. 
So, yeah, probably non-lapsed Mormons too. That yeah, just... some some of each. Uh, it's <laughs> it's nothing to write home about. No, no offense no, to not. any listeners we have in Wendover. Um, it's not the nicest place. Hmm. Sure, it's not so bad. Uh, okay, you can be sure. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's jump to Catlin now. The words will cut you like valerian steel to a head. She can love Jon Snow, but she's sure to let you know where she stands. A devoted mother who married the brother of a dead fiancé. She's vengeful and hateful, loving and faithful. She's Catelyn. Catelyn Star. Oh my goodness. Ugh, this chapter. Oh, so great, but also so frustrating this is a chapter Mm. that lost me a lot of reverence for rob but bought me a ton more respect for catelyn so as we know catelyn has been imprisoned in her father's rooms for letting jamie lannister escape she's rightfully nervous about how rob will take the news concerned that she may now have lost all of her sons while she waits, Sir Robin Regeer and his host return by foot, reportedly vanquished by the Kingslayer himself. That's the report. It's the Kingslayer that got the best of them. Not Brienne, Jamie. Mm. Interesting. She also sees from her tower roof about 40 horsemen ride off out of the gates, trampling Rob's banner, and she thinks that they might be Freys. Something is definitely wrong, but no one will tell her what, which is part of her imprisonment. Anyways, Rob finally gets back, and Catelyn is summoned to the Great Hall. She arrives as Rob is thanking her brother Edmure for winning the battle at Stone Mill against Tywin Lannister's troops and bloodying Tywin's nose. She gets a hug from her uncle Brendan Blackfish, and then it's time to face her fears. But Rob is super understanding and almost over-the-top forgiving for what she did. He doesn't dwell on the loss of such a valuable hostage, and he doesn't question her motives at all, instead practically agreeing with her. Uh, Not everyone in the Great Hall feels the same way, particularly not Rickard Karstark, who lost two sons to the Kinslayer and now has lost his potential vengeance. But no one really wants to hear about it, so Catelyn is publicly forgiven, and then all the hall cleared of everyone but Rob, Catelyn, Edmure, and six strangers up on the Great Hall's dais, who are very obviously tight with Rob. Catelyn's like, who's this? Some tighter than others. (laughs) All right. Sorry, couldn't resist. You please mute your mic, thank you. Yeah, you got it. (laughs) Catelyn's like, who's this? And it turns out that when Rob was injured, taking a holdfast called the Crag on the West Coast, the Crag, Jane, the daughter of Lord Gawain Westerling, who Rob took prisoner in the Whispering Woods, treated Rob's arrow wound and comforted him when he learned the news of his brother's deaths. This comforting led to a quick and dirty marriage and Rob dragging Jane's mother uncle and siblings out of Lannister territory to keep them safe from Tywin Lannister, who probably wouldn't have supported the marriage of one of his sworn lord's daughters to the King of the North. 
Catelyn, so recently, so graciously forgiven for acting out of love, has no choice but to welcome her new daughter-in-law. It's only later that she's calmly like, Rob, what the fuck? Your promise to a daughter of the Lord Frey, and you're marrying a girl from a lesser house than the Freys, and that's like a shotgun blast of salt in the wound of not marrying, you know, like a Walda. Rob doesn't have much to say for himself. It's the lower front quadrant of his body that's gotten him into this mess. And hey, uh, at least the Westerlings uh, gave him 50 whole fighting men. So that's great. He can add add 50 more men to his army that is comprised of 4,000 Freys that he already got for the deal of marrying a Frey. So it's not all bad. If in case you're not picking him those. I'm being sarcastic. It's the worst deal. <laughs> it's just the absolute worst. There are about 50,000 gentle, sweet, heart-faced, wide-hipped young brunettes out there, and Rob had to shotgun suicide marry the one with the least return on investment. And I had to ask myself, am I being dismissive and generalizing Jane Westerling? Am I stripping her of all worth just because she has no strategic value in a royal alliance? And yeah, I totally am. Kind of are. (laughs) But what's important to note is that I don't blame Jean. This is 100% on Rob, or Mm -hmm. or at least 90% on Rob, 10% on Grey Wind, who should have worked much harder to keep Kryptonite Jane away from Rob. As it is, Rob doesn't even have Greywind with him in the Great Hall. And when Callan asks Rob about that, he tries to give Kat the excuse that Greywind has become unmanageable uh, since he started taking Greywind into battles, that Greywind has no fear of men now that he's killed so many. But the real reason is that Greywind makes Jane nervous, so outside he stays. Catelyn is horrified by this, knowing that the wolves are more than just pets for her children, that Rob needs Grey Wind's judgment and protection. And Rob tells her that he once felt the same way, that the wolves were literally heaven sent from from the gods of the north. But where were those wolves when Bran and Rickon needed their protection? Anyway, they take the party up to Rob's room for some wine and more chats, and it's here that is revealed that Enmir has no right to be puffing his chest and bragging it out about his victory at Stone Mill because he had been ordered to hold River Run, and that was all. Robert and the Blackfish had been trying to lure Tywin Lannister west to bait and trap him, but Enmir held up Tywin just long enough for the Lannister forces to be recalled to King's Landing. And we know what happens after that. So uh, now Rob and co are, are trying to plan what they're going to do next. Uh, they're, they're a little bit screwed and they definitely need to regain their alliance with the phrase. And the chapter ends with uh, Rob saying there has to be something that we can give them. And Catelyn saying, not something, someone. Duh, duh, duh. Where to start? Yeah. Oh boy, Rob, you messed up. You messed up good. <clears throat> and while we're throwing blame around, I, I you blamed uh, Rob and ten percent on Greywind. I also throw a little bit of blame on the rest of his party. I mean, how many guys? He had the Great John with him, and all these other guys. Nobody mm. could have nudged him in the ribs and been like, "Hey, let's make sure we're uh, all uh, you know ab- above the belly button on this one." Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like even bring in another nurse, something like, 
he has a lot of people that are around him all the time. None of them said anything? Yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that. I guess we never really find out what the circumstances were. Yeah, we don't get much information. The Blackfish himself? Yeah. Well, yeah. Is he out I think scouting? he'd have something to say about that. He might have yeah. been out doing other stuff. Yeah. I don't remember. The, the Blackfish is never busy, too busy to judge. Like he's... <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> it's kind of like me. Yeah, yeah it, not Rob's finest hour, although I will say he played his mother like a like a harp. He did. Um, yeah, but, but, Catelyn admits it. That she, yeah. He was, like, oh, like, oh, he got, got me. me there. Yeah. Son of a... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pin the blue ribbon upon his chest. Mm-hmm. Still king now. Yeah, you yeah. you know, we we give a lot of leeway to some of these characters like they're kids like they're in love they're you know but damn it rob like that's too much it's yeah. too much you're a king if you call yourself a king you have to behave differently joffrey aside yeah <laughs> Oof. he's got a certain responsibility and also he made an well i don't think he made an oath but it was a pretty serious promise oh yeah he, ben died for that promise and i love when he's like He's like, but Jane is smart and she's compassionate, mother. Like, you're missing the fucking point. <laughs> you, you don't get the luxury yeah. after the pact yeah. you made to look for a girl that's smart and compassionate. Yeah, and I'm she... sorry, buddy, but you made a deal. Yeah. He married her after, you know, the comforting, which... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the comforting. You can, you can only imagine it wasn't that great. <laughs> Oh, wait, what? Why? I don't know. Was it was probably, his was first time. Crying. Right? It was pro- definitely probably her first time. Like, there's always going to be some awkwardness. Yeah. <laughs> Just, uh... <laughs> but maybe the it was really good. Just, the, the That's going to be the title of the next Davos Fingers album. <laughs> the, the Comforting. The comforting. <laughs> Anyways, but here's the thing. He married her, you know, as any honorable young lord would do to a a, a, a a lady of equal status i suppose but he didn't have to because she was basically a prisoner i don't know we, yeah. we see uh we see the output of of uh, just such an occasion um in edric storm uh, robert essentially had sex in stannis's wedding bed <laughs> with another noble woman and because she was a noble woman he acknowledges uh, Edric is his, right? But he's still a bastard. Yeah. Could Rob have done that? I don't know. I don't think he's as dishonorable, maybe, as or, or as unthinking as Robert is. Yeah. Point but... point being is that he had a choice in the matter. Like, not a great choice, but yeah. still a, hey, thanks for the comforting. There's taxi money on the... Taxi money. <laughs> on the bed stand. But don't take the, ta- <laughs> don't take the taxi to the Ironborn. You know how that goes. Like, oh, man. <laughs> Harkening back to one of the all-time great Davos Fingers moments. Yeah, so... discussion. <laughs> yes. But here's the thing. Um, he, he didn't have to, but you got to wonder if maybe it was a little bit of rebellion, too. Like, he knew he didn't have to marry her, um... but he wanted to marry her. So he was going to marry her. He's the king. Or... You know he's uh, son of Edward Stark. I can do what I want. I'm I'm sick of I'm sick of being beholden to an entire half a 
world, the North. I don't know. I yeah. I think Maybe he's, he's I, I, never, I never got that impression. Yeah. yeah, I can see what you're saying. I never got that impression from him. Like I'm gonna right. do what I want to do because I'm king. It's it's more to me. It's it's Eddard coming out in him. I have to do the honorable thing, and the honorable right. thing is to marry this girl who went out there for me. Um, and I, I'm I'm Eddard's son, and I have to be as good as he would have been. But I don't know. You know, all he has to do is look at his dad and be like, "Well, Eddard did have one bastard, so I guess this is my one." <laughs> right? <laughs> I've got a pass. I got a yeah. pass. This is my one. I don't do it again. Right? Actually, a very similar circumstance. I mean, he was out, yeah, warring. Yeah, happened. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe he sees the way Eddard always thought about that, about how terrible he felt for dishonoring his wife and his family, and he said, "Nope, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. I'm learning from my dad's mistake." I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think he knows what a blunder he's made. But yeah, he didn't. He didn't think he had a choice. I don't know if I agree with him. You certainly don't. I, I'm not sure that I agree that he didn't have a choice. But he doesn't think he's got one. And that's what matters is what they think. But the the I'm I'm with Cat though on the uh, the wolf thing. You know, we say all yeah. the time that the wolves know shit. Ah, uh, yeah, and she was really like. Adamant. Putting down the hammer, yeah. yeah. When when Rob admitted just offhandedly that Grey Woman would growl at Rolf Spicer, Get Jane's uncle, yeah, yeah, she was like, "Well, he's got to go." Like, Don't you see yeah. that? <laughs> yeah. Get rid of him. Gone. Yeah. Well, it sounds like he's been kind of turned off, not turned off by the wolves completely, but just the whole Brandon Ricken experience is kind of made the enchantment of the wolves to him wear off a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm, I think that was I'm sticking excuse. with that was an excuse, yeah. Yeah. Really? I think, well, yeah. I don't know. I I think so. I think, you know, did you ever have that friend uh, who, he was really cool, and then he, when he, whenever he got a girlfriend, like he'd have girlfriends every once in a while, whenever he got a girlfriend, he was never around, and like, mm-hmm. he would just like wear the sweaters that you wanted him to wear, and like, n- no longer wear the band t-shirts that, that you guys liked. Um you know, like he eschews things that she dis- disapproves mm-hmm. of. Uh, that's you give that's up his inheritance for her. Yeah, <laughs> he gave up his army. Uh, that's the way I view this. Yeah, I think it's it's there's comforting on the line, and yeah. at this point in time, comforting is more important yes. than having than wolf around. I, I agree with that. Yeah. I agree with that. But I think that he's kind of started to separate himself from the wolf anyways. And it might be because of the Brandon Rickon thing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Listen, he can pet the wolf or he can get his wolf pet. And <laughs> he's making the choice that any 15 year old boy would probably make. Hey, any 30 year old boy would make. <laughs> oh, is it time for me to get? Is it is it okay for me to get really mad at Rob right now over the Edmure thing? Because this is the thing that pisses me off maybe the most in this whole chapter. Uh, yeah, oh, sure. you're okay. mad at Rob? Oh yeah, over the Edmure thing. That they didn't tell him. Yeah. Huh. I I think I think Edmure got shat on for no reason. Poor guy. I don't think it's no the reason. Poor guy. But it definitely wasn't really very fair. 
Yeah. Okay. Here was the command that he was given, at least from Rob. We weren't there when the original command was issued, but in summarizing it, uh, Rob says, you were commanded to hold River Run, Edmure, no more. He had no idea about this whole, uh, what, did, what did they call it, the merry chase? They were going to lead them on a merry chase through the Westerlands. Yeah. Don't you think that would be important knowledge to give somebody who you're <coughs> – Telling to basically hold your rear, hold your rear, that sounds funny, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to defend River Run. Don't you think that would be important information to tell them? Yeah. Holy crap, why wouldn't you tell Edmure that? Yeah. Why would you leave him in the dark on that? Because what was he supposed to do? Watch the Lannisters come waltzing through the Riverlands where they're probably going to sack people, they're probably going to burn things. That's just what these armies do. He's just supposed to sit behind his castle? No. Yeah. He didn't. Rob did not prepare Edmure correctly. He should have filled him in on the plan. He should have told him, this is what we're going to do. Don't come after Tywin. I put this on Rob. I put it on Brendan. I do not put it on Edmure. I think he did exactly what he should have done as a lord in defending Riverrun. If you see the enemy coming, you go out and you stop them. Yeah. At least with the amount of knowledge that Edmure had. In episode one, Qui-Gon says to uh, a very young Anakin... Stay in that cockpit with no other instruction. And should have understood that to a young pilot, staying in the cockpit means, great, I can take her out for a spin. Well, if you don't give specific instructions, they're up to, to interpretation. And that's what Edmure's done here. He's taken the instructions he was given to interpretation. Yeah, and I think he was completely justified in that. I mean, what kind of lord would he be if he just hid behind the castle walls? I agree. Yeah, that's true. He'd be seen as a coward. Yeah. Yep. And there's this... So, uh, actually, Brendan Blackfish, Brendan B. Fish, our friend, he, he writes a whole thing on this in, in yeah. his essay about uh, uh, analyzing Rob's battle strategies and, and competency as a commander and stuff. And uh, we can link to it. Uh, it's it's great. He explains it and defends Edmure much better than I could. But he he includes a, a quote from, um, what's it called? The Art of War? The Art of War, Sun Tzu. Yeah. And uh, the quote is, if words of command are not clear and distinct, if orders are not thoroughly understood, then the general is to blame. But if orders are clear and the, old, and the soldiers nevertheless disobey, then it is the fault of their officers. And I think this is very much the former. I don't think he, he had enough information to, to effectively coordinate with, with Robin and the Blackfish. And that's on them, not him. That's true, though I, it's something that <clears throat> Catelyn says right after this whole reveal. and Because Edmure's like, let me make it up to you. I will lead the van on the next charge. And Catelyn's first thought was, um, is it to make amends or is it for the glory? Like, I wonder if everybody knows that or thinks that Edmure is just out for the winds. Oh, yeah. That's why they don't share all the information with him. Like, mm. like he's just for show. I, like, I get in, that, in, and, and in, I think he's kind of earned that reputation. I think he's kind of earned that reputation. But still, if you this is this is big boy games here. This is important stuff. You got to tell him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. And and he did a good job of it too. That's what we forget. Edmure held off Tywin Lannister's army, Gregor Clegane, and he did a good job of it too, like tactically. 
he did a good job of like using the terrain. He he brought in forces at the right time. Like he really handled that defense really well. Caltrops mm. in the river and stuff, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. He did a really good job of what he thought was the right thing to do. And he just got crapped on. Did he ever? And, at least at least he didn't get publicly crapped on. At least yes. Rob gave him that. Here's Here's and this is me jumping to conclusions. Maybe I shouldn't do it. And then I'm done with Rob, I promise. Thanks for humoring, humoring me on this little rant here. Rob knows he just effed up big time. We've established that. Is this his way of like shifting blame a little bit? Do you mm, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know I screwed up, it's but boy, Edmir, you really screwed up. Look how bad Edmir screwed up. <laughs> Look at him. Like he we told him to hold River Run and he totally screwed up. Blah, 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 blah. I, I might be given Rob. Uh, Maybe yeah. he doesn't do that with Cat though. But he could have done this, played the same game with Cat, yeah. and he didn't. Cat's his mom. Yeah, yeah, I think he knows better than to do that. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm done. I'm done with Rob. I'm not as impassioned right. as you are. That was that was a scad worthy rant. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you got pretty emotional there, buddy. Yeah, you got, you got pretty, pretty scad tankerous. You got pretty wound up. <laughs> you got hot. You got hot there. Uh, are we done with Catlin then? I think so. All right. A strong chapter for Cat, I think. Mm-hmm. Was well, a very good chapter for Cat. Lots of reveals. I, again, I'll, I'll just note, you know, she's at her strongest when she's counseling her son, and that's where she is again. And she had a strong chapter. Mm, good point. Yeah, we we remember this from when they were uh, oh back early on in Rob's campaign, right? Where we really saw some strong chapters from her playing kind of the counselor role. So, mm-hmm. yeah, very good. All right. Well, uh, if nothing else, then we have arrived at the end of our normally spoiler-free uh, portion of the episode. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. That's dropping off now. We appreciate you hanging with us for a little bit. Uh, prepare for next episode, which will be chapters 15 through 19. And those are John 2, Sansa 2, Arya 3, Samwell 1. <gasps> yes. New music, uh, new POV, going to be awesome. And Tyrion 3. So join us for that. Uh, anything else you guys want to add before we switch over? No. Nah. All right, let's do Davos After Dark. Davos after dark. Well, since we're already talking about uh, wolves, let's go to the one thing that I think was the common denominator for all of our stuff we wanted to talk about for Davos after dark, which was the wolves knowing things. We know, you know, that this gray wind stuff, if, as Brooke put it, if he doesn't like your GF, you drop her like a burning sword hilt. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think of uh what do you think of this revisiting the whole destiny and purpose of the wolves? Um do you think that they're really that integral in, in in intricately? What is the word I'm trying to think of to say? I'm losing my words now. But anyways, linked with the destiny of the of the Stark kids that they really are necessary. What do you think? Well, what sticks with me is at one point John was thinking about ghosts and he didn't think of them as a pet. He didn't think of them as like a best friend or a son or anything like that. Ghost was part of John. So 
feel like that extends to all of the other kids, especially with Summer and, and, and Bran. They, they are, they are basically one at this point. Um, you can still survive. Uh, I mean, if you get a limb cut off as in with Arya, mm-hmm. um, or Sansa. with Sansa, well, here's the thing. This is where, this is where the, the theory comes to a test. Can you survive if, you know, half of you is cut off? How much mm-hmm. longer is she going to make it? Will she just become Elaine? She's no longer Sansa. You're talking about the wolves being an yeah, anchor so you... to the starkness, or actually yeah, they're the kind of that link an to an the an anchor to their life. Maybe a bit of both. <laughs> a bit of both. Yeah, definitely something mm-hmm. mystical about it. Orgy. Mm-hmm. We were just talking about this with uh, with over email with uh, one of our listeners and we were talking about the wolves and and you know it's also very much a, a physical proof the wolves are very much a physical proof as to the starkness of of these kids mm-hmm. like if if aria were to return to winterfell right now without nemeria how would she in any way be able to prove that she is a stark i don't know she just have to show up with the boltons and everyone seems to believe it <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would be the difference between Arya and Jane Poole, right? Well, they, they make she, the same There's no DNA with... testing. There's no yeah. ID tags to, to give anybody. Um, everyone that, that knew Rickon. her intimately is pretty much dead. Yeah, Rickon would be the same way. Well, they say it. Um, they say you've got to bring back the wolf or they won't know. Yeah, the... mm-hmm. exactly. So if Arya shows up with this big old dire wolf and says, I'm Arya Stark, all of a sudden people might go, oh, maybe yeah, she must really be if she's got a dire wolf. Same thing with Rickon. Um, and the others too. So there's very much, I think, a practical aspect to the wolves being that anchor to starkness for these kids. But uh, I agree that there's definitely something mystical going on that I haven't been able to fully wrap my head around yet. Here's the thing on this. So I used to really, really buy into this, um, that, the, that the wolves are uh, an anchor to the starkness, not 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 physically, not um, like as an identity, but... but uh, internally that it, that it anchors them and and I, as i've thought about it more i think sansa has become more starkish after losing the wolf i mean it's 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 mm. it's way more to do with all the other shit that she's gone through and learned about herself and just as her character has grown but she's done that without the wolf and it's almost like lady was um not that it's bad to be you know a courtly girl not that that's bad in any way. There are, you know, tons of people affecting the world and having a positive impact doing that sort of thing in, in Westeros, but it's it's not who Sansa needs to become. And Lady was... I'm not going to say Lady was holding her back, but Lady's personality was very much that. Uh, you mm. know, that that old Sansa. And maybe the wolves would grow with, with Sansa, or, or I don't know. Or yeah, they do grow that's with a good point. I don't know. Yeah, sometimes you need that conflict to really grow, right? Yeah. You need to be put in those growth type situations lady was still a, a puppy too true yep yeah that's what i, I mean maybe they say they say too though that the wolves kind of take on the personalities of their owners so maybe as sansa grew lady also would have grown as well to be you know more wild and forceful and you know those kinds of things mm-hmm. who knows mm-hmm. i love i love all the wolf stuff i i almost it's almost one of those things um Kind of like, kind of like you with Star Wars, Matt. With the new movie coming out, you've told me uh, like you just don't want to think about it too much. 
you don't you know you don't want to you don't want to hear the theories you don't want to hear the opinions you don't want to know anything you've almost kind of kept away from it i kind of don't want to think about the wolf stuff too much i just want to be told what it is right i just want to see it you know there's nothing wrong with that scad yeah there is nothing wrong with just being told this story you're only saying that so i stopped giving you a hard time about the star wars thing no, I'm not. Because it's <laughs> we've talked about it before. It's something that really bugs me sometimes is that people think if you haven't come up with yeah. all these theories and stuff, you're not a real fan. And there's nothing wrong with just enjoying yeah. being told a story. But I'm not like that with most of the stuff, but with the wolf stuff, I just <clears throat> I just wanna yeah. I just wanna know more. I just wanna learn and be told. I don't wanna mm-hmm. think about it. But... You just are lazy. Well, that we all <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, anything else on the wolves no no i want to talk about shay for a second you think she's 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 serious about Tyrion? do you think she loved him no not no. even a little bit yeah nope. all right why are you picking up on some of that no i'm not i just wanted <laughs> to see if we were on the same page i actually found a quote by martin that pretty much proves it but what was the quote uh okay. It says the Shay in the books is a manipulative camp follower prostitute who doesn't care about Tyrion any more than she would any other John. But she's very compliant, like a little teenage sex kitten feeding all his fantasies. She's really just in it for the money and the status. She's everything Lord T- Tywin thought Tyrion's first wife was that she actually wasn't. So there are layers of complexity going on here. They're the same character, but they're also very different characters. I think that's going to lead to very different resonances. Is he referring to show Shay versus book Shay or book Shay and book Tisha? It was uh, in reference to show Shay versus okay. book Shay. I thought he was saying that sh- that book Tisha and book Shay were the same character or however no. it was that you said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, no. no, I think I, um, I think she was always in it for in it for herself um it doesn't it doesn't mean she can't uh appreciate some of his qualities um you know his sure. his kindness to her those kinds of things when although he did have that one bit where he roughed her up um yeah, that was definitely not well done but I, I i feel like she's just she's just waiting waiting for the right moment to jump out and to me, and and this is a note I sent over. Um, when she said "your whore" in this chapter, he said "you are uh, Shay." You, you and she says "your whore." Yeah, um, I think she's. I don't know. She she follows that up by saying, "I'm loyal to you. Just don't leave me behind or whatever." But I think she's already planning her game out. And do you think she wants to get out because of the, like Martin said in this quote, and like we saw in the stuff, uh, because she feels like she's not going to get that money and status and yeah. stuff like that from, from Tyrion? She asks in other words, very... if Tyrion would have given her that stuff back, would she have been more like, yeah, I'll stick around then as long as this, as long as this uh, good thing continues to be a good thing? Almost like a symbol, maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, she very, very pointedly in this chapter asks... What about yeah. my silks? When am I going to get my stuff back? Where's my stuff? Which is, it seemed, it was not the right moment to be asking for it. Like, they're in the middle of talking yeah. about other stuff, and then she just throws it out there. And you're like, like oh. it's always on the back of her mind. And yeah. Just... 
finally slipped out. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and it's it's also said in that chapter, like, anything Tyrion said, it was never what she wanted to hear. Right? Mm-hmm. I Yeah, I think she's planning her exit already. Or yeah. looking for it. I don't, don't know that she can... She has the she... connections to plan it, but... Looking for something better. <clears throat> yeah. All right. So, um, Brooke... You hey. sent over a note about the uh, Great Northern Conspiracy and Harwin maybe being the hooded man. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think of that and overall Harwin's role? Will we see him again? Will it be in that capacity? Or is he just kind of one of those guys that's going to ride off into the sunset? He could be the hooded man. Um, there's stuff written about that out there. Um, there's pretty really compelling evidence, right? Yeah. 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 I- the stuff I, that's laid out is pretty compelling. The last time we see Harwin, I think, has, hasn't hasn't uh, Zombie Cat actually told him to go north? I think that's yeah. the last time uh, we well, saw Harwin. The last time we see him is Brienne sees him um, translating for her Lady Stoneheart. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yes. Maybe I was just um, reading a theory that Catelyn would have sent him north so. to take information or right. something. I don't know. I think that is part of the the Grand Northern conspiracy. Oh, okay. But yeah, he's uh, he's that as they say he's a young Northman. Um, I don't think they ever say his name is as Harwin. Well, because it's Brienne, it's from her POV, so she wouldn't know who Harwin is. Uh, so it's it's pretty much just accepted that it's him. I, so, I'd love yeah. him to continue to have a role because he has been given, you know, in recognizing Arya. Some significance. And he probably has told Catelyn, you'd think that he said, hey, guess who I spent some time with? Mm -hmm. Your daughter. And so she knows that there's that connection already. Um, Great point. Yeah, he would have. He knows the North. uh, So sending him back to, he knows Winterfell. So sending him back to there would make sense. Uh, He knows Theon. Yeah. so, I mean, it's very compelling. He's a good writer, so if anyone's going to get to Winterfell, he probably could. That's the one hang-up I have, though, is I'm not completely sure of timelines and stuff, but it seems like the last time we saw him, the Stoneheart-Brienne uh, instance, is pretty close to chronologically to the Hooded Man stuff. And it takes a long time to get from the Riverlands to Winterfell. Mm. So I don't know if... Unless he could have gotten there like fast the enough, but yeah, we're about to see which Harwin in the, an upcoming chapter. Exactly, he's a very good writer. Yeah. So if anyone could do it, he's probably one of them. Yeah, so. His father was master of horse. Mm-hmm. Did you say master of horse? Yeah, that's what I heard. His father is Tyrion. <laughs> <laughs> Compelling uh, stuff. Yeah, I want to bring up a point that Please. I saw that. I did not actually take the opportunity to look on the internet, but it doesn't matter. I don't care about the internet's opinions. I care about your opinions. Mm. <laughs> Jamie has a dream in his point of view chapter where he is fighting off the dead who are flaming green, as in maybe they're flaming with wildfire. And for every one he knocks off, two more come up to take its place. And he has a golden sword in his hand. And my theory (laughs) is that he is having a slightly like, like a little sliver of prophetic dream 
about the upcoming war of the dragons against the others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, wildfire will probably be used in that war in addition to dragon glass and dragon glass candle fire. Um, yeah. And uh, there's maybe a possibility that the golden sword could represent a flaming sword. Mm? Which he does have a dream later on in this very book where he's got a flaming sword. Oh, look at that. In the, uh, along with Brienne, Brienne has one as well. Really? Because there can be more than one flaming sword. Sure. Sure. They're going to need a lot of weapons to fight the oncoming army. Remember, the flaming sword. Right. Uh, and the flaming sword could be indicative of like a Valerian steel type sword that would be like flame to another in that it can kill others. So that whole fire and ice thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And Brienne, of course, does have that Valerian steel sword that Jamie gave her. <clears throat> um, I like that. I like that. I mean, in the context of the dream, it could just be, you know, he's killing one and two people come back. It's almost like he's trying to rid himself of his past because it's all past figures in his life. People from his past come and he kills them and they come back. Like he's just never able to move on from the, from the whole Kingslayer thing and stuff. Um, but I, he has enough. He has other dreams in the future after this one that makes me think that there's something perhaps prophetic, like you said, going on there. Mm. What do you think, Scad? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think I thought more along the lines of what you said. Um, he's, <laughs> he's trying to fight with a sword. Um, and what he really needs is somebody to write a biography that paints it from his picture so that his name can be cleared because, what what we learn really bothers him in the end. All the stuff with the white book um, later when he starts writing the truth and um, you know trying to to be a, the captain of the king's guard in the way that he should. Um, mm-hmm. He does care what what people think about him, what his um, what his uh, legacy will be, and I think he feels like almost anything that he does, the hacking hacking things down would be the good deeds he's doing. Two more people still know he's called the Kingslayer and what he did. And so it's a, it's a losing battle. He's never going to be more than the Kingslayer, despite all these, the way he's trying to change his life. But to his credit, he's still making the choices to change his life, right? Right. Even though they keep jumping up in, in front of him. So that's a, it's a different read, I guess, but... Um, I didn't. I didn't think of it prophetically, and I didn't even think about that until you guys asked me about it. <laughs> it's took... it's like like Brooke said. It's really quick, right? It's like a two or three sentences long as all. Yeah, it maybe... wasn't like one of Danny's House of the Undying moments. I think I'm just desperate for Jamie to have a bigger role mm. in the upcoming end of the world. I think his well, I think Matt said this before in, in one of the episodes. I think his role is going to be much more personal in in clearing up making himself a better man and and potentially um, cleaning up the Cersei mess, not necessarily killing her, but being involved in some way. 
Yeah, or we could just be getting all of these really excellent point of view chapters and his amazing transformative arc for George, you know, when George actually kills him, for us <laughs> yeah. to feel, to feel that bad much about more it. bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've said before, too, that the saddest thing about all of this is I think he's going to die in the end. Mm. That breaks my breaks my tender little heart. Mm. Hopefully in Brienne's arms. Oh, soldiers are meant to die. Yeah. That's what he's supposed to do. Yeah. And it's too bad. <laughs> oh, so one final question that's that's kind of bugged me as I was reading these chapters and especially Davos's um just lust to kill Melisandre. What's happened to that? Reading later Davos chapters, he doesn't seem to bear that same uh, even animosity towards. He doesn't even spare time to really think about Melisandre. Uh, is that a fundamental shift in attitude towards her, or is she just kind of gotten lower on his priority list? Um, I don't remember. So this is just an honest opinion reaction, because I don't remember what happens in the books after this, but I, I feel like he gets... I, I feel like he gets a different read on her going forward. Mm-hmm. That she does have Stannis's best intentions in mind, and as such, he should keep her around because that's what Stannis needs is more people in his corner. But I don't know. I, I don't I don't know whether that's true or not. Yeah, their little right. chat when he was in jail mm-hmm. I feel like really made him pause. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, I can't yeah, because... shove this dirk through the bars. <laughs> okay, I'll listen to what maybe you it to was say. maybe it was that chat. I should I did kind of skim through it, and perhaps it's that. The last time we see them together is when he tells Davo or Stannis and Melisandre that he let Edric go, or that he helped Edric escape. And Melisandre's like, you shouldn't have done that. And Stannis is like going to kill him, and then he reads the letter about going up north, which we know Stannis listens to him because they end up going up north. <laughs> And Melisandre seems open to that idea as well, going north. So perhaps that whole Davos and Melisandre yeah, being on the same knows, page, maybe that helped too. She's okay um, with going north because she knows John's up there. Right. There you go. <laughs> All I see is snow. Um, yeah, and, and I really liked I went back and read Melisandre's POV, and I really liked the the little comment she makes about Devon. Do you guys remember that at all? It's just kind of a little tiny comment where she wouldn't let Devon go with Stannis. She made Devon stay with her at Castle Black. And she says the reason why is because Davo, to keep Devon safe because Davos has suffered enough mm. in her eyes. And that kind of really brought it, like, like if she was saying that out loud from someone else's POV, I'd like, yeah, you're just saying that, Melisandre. But this is from her POV. It's something she thinks. So it's, mm. you know, it's true. It's, we can trust uh, her intention there, that she felt something for Davos, a sympathy that made her want to keep his son safe with her. Mm. And uh, I don't know. I'm, is Melisandre that much of a bad guy? I mean, she does kind of bad things we don't like, the shadow babies and stuff, but seems like in the end she wants to kill others, so... Yeah, but I don't think she dislikes burning people. I think it's a perk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the burning people, the shadow babies. We don't like. We don't agree with those kind of things. But in the end, she wants to kill others, right? She wants to. 
save humanity, apparently. I think she's one of those people that is overzealous, overconfident to the point of misleading people in her confidence. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that can be dangerous. Um, I don't know that she's bad, but I know that she thinks anyone who disagrees with her is bad. And that's dangerous. Indeed. I think her her issue is she just falls into the doer category from our discussion about Arya. Mm-hmm. She's just she knows that something bad is coming. She knows mm-hmm. that she has the power to do something about it. She's probably not going about it the right way, but she's just going to get it done. Indeed. Yeah. All right. Well, and we find out that Ragged Jenna is still around. I just want to point that out real quick. Yes. <laughs> What a ship name. Amazing. The greatest ship in all of Westeros still sails. All right. Are we done with Davos After Dark? I think we're good. I think this was a, was a lively discussion while it lasted. Mm-hmm. It's run its course, though. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us. And I'll let Brooke sign us off. Yes, this is Brooks signing off, saying if Arya were to ever meet me, I'd be a hot pie. <laughs> her eyes. In her eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Matt, just sympathizing with Stannis with a Keith Urban lyric just to make Grook Brown. Grook Brown. Oh, wow. That was a slip. It's going to hurt bad before it gets better. Scatty. Uh, this is Scotty signing off uh, in regard to the Star Wars release. If it be not now, yet it will come. The readiness is all. It's a little Hamlet for you guys. Oh, Keith Urban and Hamlet? Well. <laughs> the magic of Davos fingers. It's been a great night. <laughs> the magic of Davos fingers. Good night, everybody. Good night. And I Strong man, never losing your self-control But I'm just drunk enough to let go of my pain To hell with my pride, let it fall like rain from my eyes Tonight I wanna cry uh, It's good, yeah, I, I, people, are, people are really liking it, I think I had one woman come up to me uh, after a show and say you were really not attractive until the end when you started smiling and being happy wow and I, and I said uh, okay <laughs> um, that's good I guess most people are more attractive when they're smiling and she said well you you were not attractive until the end okay well that's kind of that's, that's a compliment that's... <laughs> yeah you Kind of I mean, want, eh? did you get her number? She was obviously hitting on you. She was about 60, so I left it. Um, so you got the number. Yeah, the number was 60 years old. <laughs> yeah. uh, did, I, did I ever tell you about the time I played Cogsworth? And the guy, so that this, this was probably the second weirdest exchange I've had behind the Cogsworth one. So I played Cogsworth once, and you, you guys have seen Beauty and the Beast. You know the deal, like... They all change from objects at the end into uh, their normal selves. But their normal selves dress and kind of look much like they looked already as the objects. Mm-hmm. So that the audience knows yes. who they are. So 
So the guy comes up to me after the show. I'm basically dressed as a fucking clock. Basically. Like, I'm the human version, but I still look like the clock. And he comes up and he says, You were wonderful. What part did you play? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It's like, you know, this theater thing. Uh, you got to do it for yourself, because these audiences are not, uh, you know, they're not what you're looking for. Idiots. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So what'd you tell him? Were you like, I was just I, nice. You're like, I was Lumia. You have to be nice. You just I played the little nice. mermaid. Yeah. I was the <laughs> mermaid. <laughs> I played Mickey Mouse. An opportunity to go see his wife and his two young sons again. Uh, they're at Cape Wrath. Wrath? Wraith? Cape Wraith? I'm going to say Cape Wraith. Yeah. I thought it was Wrath. Uh, I'm wrong. Ugh. Okay, I'm going to try this again. An Roth. opportunity. Wrath? Like David Lee. Okay. <laughs> like, Matt, shut up. I'm going to say Wrath. I'm going to say it. <laughs> It's yes. it's right next to the Bonneville Salt Flats, which is uh, famous for all the world land speed records that they break. Oh, cool. Also okay. Independence Day. <gasps> also Independence Day. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Apparently the trailer for the, the Independence Day sequel is out. I have to look uh, that I up, I watched too. it today. How was it? Yes. It looks, it looks fine. Yeah. Just fine? Mm. Goldblum's back. Will Smith isn't. Speaking of fine, Goldblum was pretty fine in the last one. He was, and he'd wear that shirt unbuttoned, and he had the wife beater under. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, some yeah. sort of kucha, kucha, kupa shell necklace thing going? Puka shell necklace. <laughs> there we go. I gave it a cold. What's worse, that you didn't know that, or that I... <laughs> yeah, it's so pretty bad. I, uh, I feel like the 90s were good for you. <laughs> you and your kucha cells. Mm, goodness gracious. <laughs> Okay, are we ready for Catelyn? Yes, let's go to Catelyn. 